Guys, these legendary tasty pastries have changed the game. They're 20 grams of protein, 5 grams of carbs. If you were a kid, and I was a kid that ate Pop-Tarts, mm-hmm. um, those things tasted great. But the difference, man, Andrew, what are the macros on Pop-Tart? Yes, for a regular Pop-Tart, we're looking at 190 calories, 37 carbs, 16 grams of sugar, and only two grams of protein. As comparison to a tasty pastry, we're looking at only 180 calories, five net carbs, zero sugars, and 20 grams of protein. And this bad boy is gluten-free. There you go. That's right. And they taste so good. Like, I'm eating it cold. I got here a little bit of coffee. <laughs> it's so good, though. You guys can warm this up, man. Yeah. They have so many flavors on their website, too. You have to check them out, Andrew. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 absolutely. You guys got to head over to eatlegendary.com. Uh, they have tons of different things. They have almonds. They have butters. They have amazing flavored everything, and everything, everything is all health conscious. Everything has low to no sugar. They have nut butters. They have nut butters, and you can't help but smile when you say nut butters. But head over to eatlegendary.com and use promo code POWERPROJECT to save 20% off your entire order. Um, links to them down in the description as well as the podcast show notes. I know it sounds like we're overhyping it, but I promise you we are not. You guys have to go try these tasty pastries right now. Recording in progress. Mm, nice. Oh, that was fancy. Mm-hmm. Can, mm-hmm. You, can you make it make that noise again? Um, maybe on the next show. Maybe on the next show, but cost money for each time I hit the button. Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, <laughs> filled up my car with gas like two days ago. Oh, your wagon! I was like, <laughs> "What do you mean the Tesla?" Yeah, yeah. Poured some. How much does it take to fill that tank? <laughs> it's uh, it, it's <laughs> it's quite a bit. It was funny because I was like, maybe it was like three days ago. Yeah, and I told Andy, I was like. I was like, I, I didn't seem like it was that much. I was like, I don't think, I didn't even notice. <laughs> and then she she went today and she just texted me and she's like, it was $147. Oh, exclamation point. I was like, Ooh. damn. But I, was d- like, I mean, oh, I'll drive the Tesla a little more. Yeah. But gas in, I mean, gas in California has always bit. been pretty high, yeah. but like my little Subaru, I don't even know how many gallons it is, but I looked up and I'm at Costco because I can't go in. Well, I can, but like I don't want to go anywhere else other than Costco. It's, Costco yeah. it's the cheapest. And I look up and I was like, damn, it's still going. It's like, shit, it was 65 bucks for my little car. 80 here. Damn, dude. Yeah. That's a Toyota, right? Toyota Camry. Yeah. That's good mileage. But um, yes. Yeah, How's your butt, hamstring, calf, like stuff that you got worked on? Oh. By Graham. He was rubbing on you, right? Yeah. He got, you know. You don't want to talk about it? Sometimes <laughs> with that guy, sometimes he just gets uncomfortably deep. Oh. Um, so yeah, like he was like he was like wow. cupping my high this hamstring. Might be the first time he heard that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cupping the high hamstring and then going towards the uh, going towards my butt and just and I was just like, mm, well, it feels good, so might as well let it happen. Uh, but feels great today. <laughs> Grand, That's like, the first time, and then time. the next time you like, pushed a little further. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that personal trainer that's massaging their client, just like, yeah, we're going a little bit deeper than we did last hey, isn't time. That it's weird? okay. You train people, right? I used to. Yeah, yeah. I used to train people too, and I was like, the last thing I'm going to do is touch anybody. I don't want anybody saying anything. God, it. hell no. I mean, I mainly train women too. I'm like, I'm staying over here. I'm going to have them train over there. I'm going to stay over here. You know when you have, you know when you see the trainer yeah. training the lady and he's just he's just doing a little too much you're like mm-hmm. he fucking his clients it's usually it's usually <laughs> the kind too yeah. it's usually it's also too it's usually that older guy you know he's been around for a little while he's like my age or a little older and he's just <laughs> he's trying to be so sweet and all the women are always like he's so sweet and you're like 
Do you not see no, that this guy's a disgusting pervert? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm a disgusting pervert too, but he's super obvious about it. Oh, too. yeah, yeah. As they say, takes one to know one. Yeah, at least yeah, I'm like, dishonest about it. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a little piece of advice for, for all you men who your wives may have trainers. Um, oh. He's not just really nice. <laughs> he might he might be nice, but... He might be know, very conversational. Might be very conversational. Might be talking about the things that you're not doing right at home. He's the <laughs> shoulder that she's going to oh, no. lean on and the shoulder to cry on oh, no. and then one day the session just takes a little too long no. and she comes My home a little too sweaty never hit that spot like that <laughs> <laughs> starts out in the neck and then travels throughout the rest of the body you know what i mean <laughs> oh lord what we got going on today we got uh josh peck on the show today awesome i was talking to my son and he said he's seen every episode mm-hmm. So, of uh, Drake and Josh. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. My, my daughter. She saw every episode? Every episode. That's oh, sick. She said he loved it. Dude, yeah. my, my daughter, she don't really care too much about some of the big names we have on, but I was just like, hey, like, did you ever watch Drake and Josh? And, you know, like, of course. Like, oh, well, I'm just talking, I'm emailing back and forth with, like, you know, his people. And she's like, what? If he comes in studio, then I, I'm taking the day off of school and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. that's great. Like, she don't care about anyone else, but she will come, you know, till ditch school for him. <laughs> Dog, I find this so funny because, like, even I, like, am I that young? Because, like, I've seen episodes of Drake and Josh when I was a teenager. I don't like, think I watched I've ever, a few. I've, you never did, though, right? No, I was going to say, I don't think I've ever watched, like, Nickelodeon before. What? Yeah, like, I, 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 I. Never was it Nick- what about SpongeBob? No, I never watched SpongeBob before. Oh, I mean, I've seen like clips and stuff like like memes and shit like that. This but explains I've never- so much. I was gonna say <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> makes sense on why when we touch him, he's so tight. Yeah, he's relaxed a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I thought you guys were down with tight. Like if you wanted get it some tighter. slime. Ah, uh, sometimes. Oh, you, you watch the slime stuff? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, Senior Josh is good to go. I gotta, you know, know what it's like to be on TV for so long. I have such an ashy elbow. Nah, you're fine. That up. You're good. You'll be fine, dude. Yeah, you don't want people to see when you're about to drop that elbow on them. Mm-hmm. Lotion's not go. here. Do we got you? Hey He's, guys, there What's he up, is. Dude? How are you? We're doing great. How are you doing? Good, man. Good to be here. Great to have you on the show, man. I gotta know what is it like to be on TV for so long. Like and and to be a kid uh, at the time that you were, you know, going. Uh, I mean, how many how many seasons did you guys go with Drake and Josh? We did uh, only actually sixty episodes. I think mm. it just feels longer because yeah. there's no there's no residuals in kids' TV, so they rerun what? it forever. <laughs> oh oh yeah! Oh, that's that's so, horrible. It, uh, but yeah, we only did 60, but it was kind of spread over five years. And, uh, but yeah, since I was 13, I've kind of been doing the TV thing. Mm. How'd you end up landing that gig in the first place? I, um, when I was, uh, basically 10 years old in New York City, I was doing stand up comedy because I was like, what? I was, (laughs) I was chubby, funny, and eager, and it wasn't going to be a little league for a guy like me. And so, uh, you know, the way I found confidence was by like, you know, basically regurgitating jokes I heard around the dinner table and uh, started auditioning and uh, booked a movie for Nickelodeon and then this show called The Amanda Show and, and that spun off Drake and Josh. Would would you be open to doing stand-up comedy nowadays? No. <laughs> I, I, I like myself too much. Yeah, it would be hard, right? To get up in front of everybody, try to make everybody laugh. Yeah, and I think like because I'm like semi 
you know, what I don't know what you'd call it, just like a quasi pretty public person, I feel like I would be fighting against a lot of heckling, to be <laughs> frank. <laughs> Wait, I, I have a question. You said you love yourself too much now. You also mentioned how when you were 10, the humor was like, it was regurgitated about the things that people said about you. So it's some, it must have been like very self-deprecating humor. So uh, uh, that's my assumption, correct? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I've always sort of been self-deprecating because um, sort of taking the piss out of myself was an effort in which to do it before you could. Because my fear was, or at least my projection was that you made a snap judgment about me the moment I walked into a room and I needed to like sort of pull the air out and gain some power back by being the first to sort of assault myself. You know, what you're saying right there is really, really interesting because we were literally just having a conversation on a prior podcast about um, people talking about like fat phobia. And mm. when, when individuals like th- there's a stereotype when people have when they look at like a Mexican person or mm-hmm. a black person, there's a knee jerk stereotype that you see through media. And there's also a knee jerk stereotype that people have when they look at individuals who are overweight or obese. They might think yeah. they're lazy, that they're not hardworking, that they don't care about themselves. And all those things aren't true. But I'm wondering for you, you mentioned that it was like what you would do is it's like before people could hit you with something, you would be able to take control of the situation. How long did that go on? And when did you feel like you switched out of that? Or do you still feel that you have a little bit of that in you? It's a great question. I think to a certain point, there's always that people pleasing that need to sort of uh, control the energy of a room. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think at 35, you know, I'm married with a kid. I've been doing this for a fair amount of time to where like just naturally, I I don't know whether it's that I think more of myself or that my level of caring about what other people think has sort of lessened. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle for the both of those things. But inevitably, um, yeah, I think like, you know, here's the thing with overweight people. And and this is just my experience, of course. I think people have a primordial response to seeing someone who's bigger, like they, they literally think like, oh, like this person is going to slow down the pack. Oh. Or you have like people who literally, like I would see as a kid, something triggering people's eyes when they would see me and I go, they're going to make a comment about my weight. And I don't know if subconsciously they almost felt like maybe I need to shame him so that he'll do something about it. And it wasn't born out of malice. It just was like, they were so emotionally unequipped. What was like the most hurtful part of that? Was it maybe the fact that they might insinuate stuff about your entire family? Cause you're so young and, and you're heavy at such a young age. It just was easy. It was hacky. It was like, first of all, it, like I'm like, I grew up, I didn't know my dad. And so like a lot of like men in my life would be like, Oh, I'll be your father figure. I, I'd be like, I bet you will. <laughs> like, well, well, let's start with allowance and go from there. Like, I'm like, it sounds good. These like platitudes, like it sounds fun that you want to project on me. Like, Oh, how healthy I should be. But like, you're not going to put the work in. Like it's going to be, you're a passing ship in my life. So I, I just remember at a young age thinking how outrageous it was that people felt comfortable commenting on mm. it. Cause now in a good way, I think, people would never feel comfortable doing that with someone they didn't really know. Um, 
yeah, I think we're in a better place. So yeah, I, I just remember growing up and thinking like, why is this, how is this an okay conversation? Mm-hmm. Do you think that like the, um, cause we, we were just talking about this, uh, yesterday, the day before about like, you know, the, like being fat phobic and you know, the body acceptance and stuff. But do you think like all that stuff is like an overcorrection and instead of, I mean, obviously, yeah, I don't think it's good to like shame anybody, but now it's like, uh, and Seema brought up the, um, the, the topic of like doctor chairs having handles is now fat phobic and it, it's like, like, did we go a little bit too far now? And I want to add a little bit of context mm-hmm. to that because there was an interview with this therapist. I wish I could remember her name, but she was, do you know who Dr. Mike on YouTube is? I don't. Okay. He's, he's this doctor who has millions of followers and um, he puts out some really good fitness information, but there was some information he was putting forward, which this therapist who she herself is overweight. um, She was saying that it was somewhat fat phobic. And when I was doing some digging, I was trying to truly understand what is fat phobia or what do people look at that? What, what is that? Right. Um, And she was mentioning certain things like, for example, the chairs in the doctor's offices, Mm -hmm. I've never thought about this before, but when an individual that's overweight or obese goes to a doctor's office and there are handles and chairs and they cannot fit, that is something that quite literally is a hindrance for them to even want to go to the doctor because they might not be able to fit in the, the chairs that are there, right? And mm-hmm. she's mentioned these other things that might be in society that um, are fat phobic, but she was also mentioning how like the whole of the doctor's industry, because typically if somebody goes in to try to get help that's overweight, uh, the doctor will generally just say, lose some weight, right? Rather than maybe addressing a lot of other issues that may be the reason why they're overweight, like things going on in their personal life, things going on at home, which could be the bigger issue than just go lose weight. So the, the, the fat acceptance side of things, and it, it's like it's, we have to be very careful when we talk about it because everyone should love who they are and even love your body at the time. But there should be, if you are not feeling confident or feeling unhealthy, there should be a push to change that if you're looking to. You know what I mean? So with the fat acceptance thing, it seems that it's gone very far to, to say like, hey, this is actually okay and it's, it's, it's somewhat healthy when maybe it's, it's, it might not be healthy for that individual. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I think... Look, I think in every case and and body image and whatnot is a great example. There's always an overcorrection, right? The pendulum swings far to the other side, but inevitably there seems to, it seems to find its middle ground over time. And, you know, data would suggest that, yeah, having, having a bit of a, a, a lower body mass allows you to, to avoid um, some comorbidities, some, some, things that are brought on with, with obesity or high amounts of sugar and high amounts of things in your diet that, I mean, there's just enough scientific data to support that you're going to be in a better place if you're able to sort of to work on that. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I think there's, I, I certainly think there's a balance, you know, my buddy, a good buddy of mine, he's in his early fifties, pretty heavy guy, you know, certainly he's got an extra 60, 70 pounds on him. And you know, his knee gave out finally, you know, he's a pretty active guy, but his right knee went out. And so I sent, sent him to my orthopedist who I love. Cause I actually, I tore my pec bench pressing Josh Peck tore his pec. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he fixed, fixed me up good. So I said, go see this guy. He's great. And, uh, 
And my buddy's basically expecting to go in to get shamed, right? That the doc's going to look at him and say, you did this to yourself mm-hmm. and now your knee went out and we're going to have to put on a new knee and you're going to have to completely uproot your life. And, and inevitably this doctor, cause he's savvy and understands not only the science portion, but the bedside portion and being a human being, which isn't always connected in, in the sciences, right? Usually you're really good at one and maybe not as great at the other. Mm-hmm. He said, listen, you tore your meniscus. You're 52. A lot of guys are walking around with tears in their knee that they're not even, if they're aware of, it's like, it's not completely hindering their life. He's like, you're not that into sports, so we can probably get away with not fixing it as of now. If it's not going to truly hurt you, we can do a lot of PT. We can work around it. If you're apprehensive about getting put, you know, put out for a surgery in, in your mid fifties. And he said, and listen, for every pound you lose, it's going to help your knee out. And it was like, I'm going to acknowledge the reality that, yeah, if you were, if you were leaner, you wouldn't have the, these knee problems, but I'm not going to shame you. Let's mm-hmm. just, we're on the same page. Cause he knew my buddy knew he was walking in, getting ready to be shamed. And he was like, I just remember getting a call from him feeling such a, a relief. And, and, and by the way, still motivated to go do something about it. But not like I'm a bad guy because I'm I'm carrying some extra weight. Yeah. I find your situation to be unique. You know, a lot of times people are like, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to make a new person kind of. I'm going to, you know, divorce my former self. But with you being on TV, did you have concern over like, if I lose this weight, I won't be the same person that I got casted as? Or is that something that you were like? You know, I, I need to just go all in on this and and forget about acting and just see where I end up uh, mentally and physically. I think people tend to marry themselves to you for the first image that they fall in love with. Um, so for me, it was like as the big funny guy. And also I was part of a legacy. Right. So when I was heavy and, and getting into acting, people would be like, oh, you'll be like Chris Farley or John Candy now. Obviously, those guys are geniuses. I, I would be lucky to have a tenth of what they had, but they weren't comparing my talent. They were merely comparing mm. my girth. Like, mm. like, oh, like wrap yourself up in this package because this tends to work. Um, and I'm sure if you're a pretty girl or a handsome guy, like a leading man type, like everyone, or maybe you're like um, you're a Michael Sarah, like every man sort of type, and then. Everyone wants to put you in a box. And, and if you want to change at all, you're going to have a bit of an uphill battle. So I knew what I knew was that my competition was small, that if as an overweight guy, there were three or four guys who were in my sort of, uh, forgive me, no pun intended, weight class <laughs> that were like going out for the same roles and that I probably had a good chance of booking something. And that if I got down to like a lower weight, I was going to be going against Jake Gyllenhaal. I mean, not really, but you know, there's like a thousand guys that look like me. I could smoke so, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to get competitive. How did you uh, lose the weight? And maybe what are some things you were attempting to do when you were young? I'm sure you've been addressing this your whole life. Uh, that may, you know, things that maybe didn't work for you, and then ultimately what worked for you. Well, I, I talk about in my book about. You know, I, I think I was like the first 10 year old who was on keto, but back then we didn't call it keto. We called it Atkins right. and poor, poor Dr. Atkins, man. He really got a bad rap. Meanwhile, he was like early keto. Um, but I, uh, so I would try and fail, man. I would c- 
because, you know, I was really heavy. And this idea of like on a Monday, removing all white sugar, all carbohydrate, it, you know, it would work great for the first two, three days. I'd lose 10 pounds of water weight and whatnot. And then, and then eventually I would just sort of, I, I just couldn't sustain it. And so when I was 17 and I decided that I would finally sort of do it, I just made small sort of changes on a regular basis. And I had no framework. You know, I got buddies now who like put on some weight, but they were athletes in high school. So even with like this big dad bod belly of theirs, they can like, you can just see in their movements, they have, there's something inherently athletic. I didn't have any of that. I was a musical theater nerd, right? (laughs) So like at 18, when I went from like 295 to 230, I had to go into a gym with my buddy, Ronaldo, who was my trainer. And he'd be like, we're going to do a push-up today. And I was like, that's cute. I won't be participating. I've never, ever been able to do it. And he was like, no, 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 we're going to do it. You're going to do it from your knees. And that's how we're going to start. And I was like, I can't do that either. And he was like, okay, well, you're going to do it from your knees. And I'm going to wrap a towel around your waist. And I'm just going to take some of the weight off. And you're just going to push up what you can. And that's how we began. And then it became, I could do one from my knees and then eventually one from my toes and then started to string them together. And same thing with pull-ups, you know, with like a, a resistance band that probably gave me a hundred pounds of help. Um, so inevitably it was just like, just grit. And, and that's what made me fall in love with like really basic, hard body weight workouts, because I was like, this was an impossibility for me and now I feel like so proud because I feel like a lot of the world can't do a strict pull up. So every time my chin goes above the bar, I'm like, yes, this one's for 15 year old Josh. So ultimately, diet wise, like what was it specifically? You mentioned those small incremental changes. That's what we talk about here on this show all the time is finding those small incremental changes that you can implement and that are sustainable. So, what were the things uh, that you implemented that made the big changes? You know, I think it's something I still do to this day. I mean, in the in the beginning, I really wiped, you know, tried to remove sugars and carbohydrates for the most part. But but still, like, I remember there was a middle ground. I was at a diner with my buddy in Queens, in New York, when I was 17, starting to lose weight. And I was like, well, I know a chicken Caesar would probably be a good bet. But I'd really love to eat a sandwich. But if I do a chicken Caesar wrap, maybe I'm going to get a little bit of what I want while also sort of sacrificing some, some caloric sort of stuff here. Cause the, the wrap, it can't be that, you know, calorically dense. And it was just slowly starting to make those smart, smart choices. And even to this day, I don't know how you guys are. I mean, you guys are really pros, so it's probably a different approach, but like for me, I'm, I'm eyeballing calories every day. And I'm just basically like, okay, I need 2,500 calories to sustain life. And then if I can work out and, you know, maybe burn an extra 500 calories. So I'm playing with about 3,000 calories. And if I can come in at a deficit, I'm in good shape. Yeah, man. Like it's, you, you nailed it. Like we don't track our calories. I used to do that 
maybe six or seven years ago, and it taught me a bit about food, but I don't do that anymore. Like I eyeball everything just like you eyeball everything, and I eat, I'll eat sushi, I'll eat pizza, I'll eat these foods, but there's this thing in the back of my head that's like, okay, just don't go crazy with it because I love to fucking eat. Like, a little bit of like <laughs> invisible tracking. Like, it's, it's being tracked where it's accounted for. We see it. We know what we're doing. Uh, but we're not writing it down. We're not putting it into an app. Yeah, and for a lot of people, that becomes somewhat obsessive. And it, it what you mentioned as far as sustainability, it's uh, it's a very interesting thing because it's like everybody needs to. It, it seems that initially, when you were doing everything, you I don't know if maybe you were tracking and you were being very incessant about what you're eating. But over time, you figured out where you could loosen the reins for yourself, and you're like having a fucking wrap on a chicken thing is not a big deal, which it's not. But it, it, what I'm curious for you is like, you you, you mentioned, because um, most people when they get on a diet, they're super restrictive. They try to change so many things at once and it turns into something that they're not able to be successful with in the long run. So for you, what was your process in the beginning and maybe in the middle to where you are now? Because I'd assume that there are certain habits and things within your lifestyle um, that are different from when you were younger, when you were having issues with food and and exercising your weight? I think it, look, it really became a lifestyle. I also like, I'm, I've been sober for the last 14 years from drugs and alcohol. And mm. what what we sort of talk about is this idea of like, drinking or using with impunity is ruined for me. It, now that doesn't hold me back, right? Like certainly there's that addictive quality that if I did dip my foot back in there, I, I certainly, you know, a monster would be unleashed, but it's not like it was when I was 18 and 19 and having a great time and eating for me isn't like it was when I was 11, 12 years old and I'd crush an entire large pizza to myself and just think, oh, tomorrow's going to be a great day. Delicious. So, <laughs> man, <and> Brett, <laughs> fucking good. And he's he broke from, our and concentration. Yeah. Yeah. And he's from New York. So, you know, they had the good they pizza the out good there. Shit, good you mentioned shit like there. an East Coast diner. Like, I, you got me starving. <laughs> Bro. So good. And, there, you know, you, like, if, if you went to McDonald's, like, you had a burger fries course, but you also had to have, like, a nuggets course. You know what I'm saying? Like, well rounded. <laughs> The food pyramid. I don't want to trigger anyone listening. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I, so basically like at 17 and now today at 35, like I, it, it was like winning through surrender. There's no intuitive eating for me. I, my intuition tells me to crush a whole pizza. (laughs) So I've accepted that like I can eat, like a normal person, but it requires some thought and that I'm just always going to be sort of in my head doing this calorie game a little bit. And, and at this point it doesn't encumber me and, and I'm allowed, it's allowed me to live sort of a normal life, but I don't have a normal or a thoughtless approach to food. Everything has to be thought about. Um, and, but it, it's worthwhile to me, especially now at 35 where I see friends who were effortlessly thin as teenagers. And then like, I go on their Facebook page and I'm like, Oh, Rick, you put on a couple. <laughs> yep, <Huh? yep. laughs> Celebrating. <Not so> easy. <laughs> <laughs> like, remember all that shit you were talking back in the day? 
Oh, right. Your, uh, your book uh, has an interesting title. Um, how, how did you come to this idea that uh, annoying people are happy? Happy people are annoying. <laughs> happy people are annoying. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I just thought that happiness was reserved for quarterbacks <laughs> and the generationally wealthy and attractive people. And I, it just annoyed me that, that people's like default settings seem to be like at perfect tuning with the world. Cause like, I just didn't think I, I was born with the same manual for life that everyone else was. So the book is about me sort of redefining what happiness is for me through walking through challenges like losing a hundred pounds or getting sober. And, and it was only through sort of facing life on life's terms that I was able to find a little bit of that joy and sort of grace that i had been searching for yeah that's funny i i used to have similar thoughts before i started like doing some personal development and working on my physique because i was always the uh the skinny scrawny guy and i'd get mad at you know like the mvp quarterbacks and shit just like you were, you were explaining but um in regards to happiness um when you finally did start to lose weight um which a lot of overweight people think like oh that's when i'm gonna have it all that's when i'm gonna be happy but that's kind of when you started actually turning to drugs and alcohol. So like what happened? Did you still not find happiness when you started to lose weight? Well, I think it was sort of a natural sort. Sorry. Am I breaking up a little guys? Oh, uh, you're my good bad. now. You're good. Good now. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Um, you know, it, it basically, I was, I, I talk about this sometimes and maybe it goes back to what we start, sort of started the pod with, but I think that, you know, being overweight to an extent can be a manifestation of a lot of things, right? Like I have buddies who carry some extra weight on them and they love going out to dinner and they love trying the new hot restaurant. And it's just not a thought to them. Mm -hmm. And my hat's off to them because it it, it doesn't sort of impede them in any way. For me, the weight was a manifestation of a lot of discomfort going on and a lot of demons inside that I wasn't facing. And we all are, for many of us, our first foray into sort of numbing out with something is food because it's acceptable and it's introduced. You know, my three-year-old goes to the supermarket and he cracks out on a Kinder Egg. He's like, that, I want that. And I'm like, relax. <laughs> so it, it, you know, for me was this thing that I overindulged in to sort of try to numb my feelings. So then eventually when I sort of took that away and I had this new body, I still had the same head and I hadn't done that inner work yet. So then when I found drugs and alcohol, I was like, Oh, this is so much more efficacious and so few calories. And, (laughs) and it was like trading a a Prius for a Ferrari with no brakes. So the good thing about that was it drove me to my knees quicker and I was forced to sort of face it or, you know, perhaps have some um, consequences that I wouldn't have been able to come back from. I know you're enjoying this clip, but listen up. We have this beef company, Piedmontese Beef, that no matter what diet you're doing, whether it's low-fat, high-fat, carnivore, keto, whatever, they have perfect cuts that are going to fit your diet perfectly. And the cool thing, Andrew, Mm -hmm. less connective tissue, so you're not going to have those grisly, nasty things that you have to spit out when you eat beef. That's what those are? That's what those are. Oh, and Piedmontese doesn't have that. They don't have that because the cows are jacked, lack of connective Mm -hmm. tissue, buttery when you cut into it amazing taste so andrew how can they get some piedmontese yes sir it's over at piedmontese.com that's p-i-e-d-m-o-n-t-e-s-e.com at checkout enter promo code power for 25 percent off your order and if your order is 150 dollars or more you get free two-day shipping again that's at piedmontese.com promo code power let's go ahead and get back to this podcast
was there a lot of emotional eating going on when you were young, um, trying to fill in some gaps and, and things of that nature? I'm sure of it, but I was not aware. Mm. You know, I just thought this is what I do. This is fun. And your, was your mo- your mother like she was? Was she like? Did anyone address it with you? Like you mentioned, like being on a keto diet at a very very young age. Did somebody say, "Hey, I think you know"? Was there a health scare, or was you know anybody kind of watching you, saying, "Hey, I think this would be a good idea if you went on this nutrition plan." No, I come from a family of big people. So like I grew up with my mom and like going to Weight Watchers meetings with her or Mm. Overeaters Anonymous. Like there was a lot of, it was a constant conversation. And because food was like to be celebrated, but it was also punishing. And it was like, enjoy, you know, we're going to celebrate. Let's order a pizza. Let's get Chinese. Let's go to the, Mm -hmm. the movies. Let's have popcorn. But it's also like, don't eat so much. You're too fat. You know, my mom wouldn't say that, but the world would kind of say that and, and family members. And so, yeah, it was this odd, it was this odd balance of like in, in, it was a celebratory thing. And yet I could tell it was like this menacing force to the packs. You know, I, I, this is going to be somewhat of a long question, but I'm going to try to make it very short. But from everything you were saying, you've obviously, obviously at this point, you know, you have, you have a beautiful wife, you have a child, you've probably, you've learned how to deal with stress in probably a much healthier way than you used to when you were dealing with drugs and alcohol and the way you used to when food was your, was your vice at the time. So I want, I'm curious, what are the, like, number one, what, how do you handle stress now? What is your go-to? Because for some people, the go-to is like, okay, after a long day, I'm going to smoke some weed and have a beer. You know what I mean? Sure. Or I'm going to eat quite a bit because I'm fucking hungry and I want to have some pizza. That's their knee jerk to stress. But what is yours? How did you figure that out for yourself? And when you were dealing with drugs and alcohol, how deep did it get for you that you were like, fuck, okay, I need to switch this out too for something healthier. I think for me, you know, I, I try to be active, you know, most days, five to six days out of the week, whether it's, doing a boxing workout, some yoga, going for a run. Like I I get bored easily. So I'm constantly switching it up, but I just know that like, I need to take, I can't think my way into right acting. I have to act my way into right thinking and working out first and foremost is like literally a chemical change in your body to get like those natural endorphins that make you feel good overall to just sort of like come out. It's, It's the easiest hack to me, but then yeah, inevitably it's like, you need to sort of uproot that bad feedback wheel. And for me, it's like, I have to get busy. The truth is, and I hate it, I have to get out of myself. I have to go help someone else. Because at a baseline, even when things aren't working out for me or life rears its ugly head and, and we all have you know wins and losses throughout, my buddy always says, your life should be like, hopefully be like the stock market, right? Like if you zoom in on any particular day, it could be up or down 500 points. But over time, it tends to go up. He's like, mm-hmm. that's how you should try to sort of live. And, and the reality is I'm so lucky and overpaid today. And so in moments where I'm completely self-centered and spinning out and dealing with stress, it's like, how do I get out of self? And it could be a small act of like making something that's not my problem, my problem. Like 
those errant shopping carts at the Costco where I'm like, these, these jerks, they don't return their carts. How do people live? Well, it's mm-hmm. like, well, then return. Like, let me go grab a couple carts. You know, let me inconvenience myself today for somebody else. Maybe you don't want to do it for giant corporate America and Costco. Maybe you want to do it for your neighbor, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that for me works well. And then, you know, how did I get to my bottom when I was 21 years old and got sober? It was just, you know, your bottom is whenever you stop digging. And I just knew that for me at this moment, I had spent so many years working on this career and relationships. And I, I was in a place where I was going to, you know, ruin a lot of that if I kept going the way I was going. And I just, and I had enough data to suggest because I had been overweight throughout a lot of my life where I was just like, Josh, you overdo things. Like, this doesn't work for you. You, you must have moderation. And, uh, and that's when I kind of made, made the jump. You uh, stated something to the effect of it didn't matter if your life uh, was going uh, beyond your wildest dreams or it didn't matter if your life was a mess. It didn't change the temperature of your mind. And you somehow recognized uh, that the outside world didn't ultimately have an impact in making you feel whole. How did you come to that and what does that mean to you? I just think it's this desire to put the cart before the horse. You know, I, I, I don't like, I, I'm not trying to put the cart before the horse. I'm trying to inject the horse with steroids. Like yeah. I just want to make this horse. <laughs> I'm trying to, to give this right horse. A, a, I want this horse to have a deck of stack. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to run baby. But you know, I, I, I sort of tell this three three part story in the book where, so food was a dead end for me. And then I try sort of drugs and alcohol and that becomes a dead end. And then I somehow at 20 years old, you know, my desire had always been to sort of supersede um, people's image of what a child actor is or the funny fat guy. I just wanted to be an actor. I just wanted to be a grown up. I just, I, I, I didn't want to be a movie star I didn't want to be anything too impressive. I just didn't want to have to like fight this origin story of mine and be mm-hmm. relegated to like, just like the cornball stereotype. So I do this movie called the Wackness and it goes to Sundance and it's me and Sir Ben Kingsley. And it's like this thing that I'm so proud of. And I had been to the Sundance film festival at 16. I remember like making this vow to myself, like one day, you're going to come back here as a star of, of a movie. And I was, and I'm like at the screening and Tarantino's there and all these people and it goes great. And I go to bed that night and I wake up and I'm like, Oh no, I'm still here. Like somehow mm. I thought I'd wake up the next morning and I'd be all better. And that like shitty committee that woke up a few minutes before I did every morning would just be like evaporated, mm. but it was still there. And it like just proved this hypothesis I'd had my whole life, which was like, I am bottomless. Like, and now like, yeah, we know food wasn't great and obviously drugs and alcohol, but like, this is success. This is prestige. This is what I thought I'd always wanted. And even then I was still feeling utterly like incomplete. So that was sort of when I started doing that inner work journey through through 12 step and more growth where I was like, I got to work on the inside because nothing, out there it's going to make me feel okay 
Yeah, focus on the dopeness. Don't focus on the whackness. Uh, it, dude, the whackness is probably my favorite, like most underrated movie of all time. Mm. Everybody oh, needs man. to go watch this. No, dude. So here's the thing. I've we were talking before you got on. I don't think I've ever really watched a Nickelodeon show. Period. Like like let alone not you know let alone Drake and Josh. I've never seen that. So. When I uh, when I watch the Wackness, I just see you, you know, as this you know this young actor. I didn't know anything about your previous work, so I I got like the best experience possible. And dude, like you and Method Man, uh, you and selling you know weed in the park, like <laughs> dude, this shit that is the music, dude. The opening scene is Nas, uh, the world is yours, uh-huh. this, dude. This is one of the best movies like ever. Like everybody has to go watch this, but. What I wanted to ask, dude, is like, how did that even come about? Just because I feel like, um, just because like the way the business is, you know, like um, the whatever, I'll just say like Jim Carrey, like, oh, he's going to be the funny guy. It's going to be hard for him to break into a serious role, even though he can. But for you, it's like, oh, here's this, you know, young, young, funny guy. Like, how are we going to make him like this star of this, this, uh, this movie? And like I said, dude, if you guys haven't seen it, like everybody has to watch this fucking movie. It's so good. But yeah, how did it come about? Uh, well, I appreciate that, dude. And, and yeah, absolutely. And people that love that movie, it means a lot to me. But yeah, I, you know, I was also fresh off this kid's show that only kids had watched, right? It wasn't like it is today where sort of it's continued to hit generations because it's a pretty simple idea. It's a, it was a, about a family. It was about two brothers who were like, totally opposites and they have to figure out how to coexist. So at this time, the show had been on for like three years and only 12 year olds watched it. So the director of the Wackness didn't know me from anything. He just was like, can you play this like hip hop loving, you know, slightly drug addicted, um, you know, 18 year old with too many feelings. I'm like, I'm from New York. I enjoy drugs. I love hip hop. (laughs) I was like, I might just be your perfect candidate. And I remember like at that time I was going against, you know, guys who, who are so far beyond me, even to this day, Jonah Hill and Miles Teller and all these like, you know, actors who crush it. But I just remember like knowing they were all going for this part and thinking I might just be right for this. Like I might be uniquely qualified for this role. And I couldn't believe it. And Ben Kingsley is my favorite actor. That's like yeah. starting like your rookie season with Michael Jordan. I couldn't believe that I was like with this dude and he was the best. It, it was, it was the best experience. Mm-hmm. Did you learn anything from him? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I talk in the book, I, I asked him on my last day of filming, if he had any advice and he kind of looked at me like, are you really asking me this? And I was like, I, ne- I never met my dad. Um, <laughs> but he said, you know, he was like, find your apostles. And I was like, I'm Jewish. I'm not sure that's in the Old Testament. little confused. Um, and he was like, find your apostles, like find people that you can not only rejoice with, but will be there for you in your difficult periods. And when you are in a room and you feel like someone doesn't support you and is looking out for your best interests, leave immediately. And and I still think of that to this day, like an apostle is someone who's willing to hurt your feelings in an effort to do what's best for you. And, uh, and yeah. And so I guess Sir Ben was like my first apostle. What uh, what kind of project do you have going on right now? 
Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm doing this book tour thing. I, uh, right now I'm on how I met your father on Hulu and I have, uh, I just finished filming this like super small part in this, uh, in the new Chris Nolan movie Oppenheimer. How about, uh, your, your YouTube channel? Cause I see, um, well, I, sorry. Okay. I guess I'll pose it this way. Like I have seen some other YouTubers that will do like an eating challenge or whatever, and they'll take it way too far to where it's like, okay, you clearly have a disorder and it's like they're almost kind of getting praise for how big they can get and how much food they can put away. And you have some uh, some like eating challenges and stuff too. But how are you doing it kind of like I'll, I'll say responsibly? I think, I mean, I'm vain and I want to stay in good shape. So if I do it, I'll like base my day around like knowing I'm going to probably consume 2,000 calories for a video. So maybe it's mm-hmm. just like a light breakfast and a good workout. But mm-hmm. I just... I remember I I started my YouTube channel and for one year I made videos with dismal views. Like it was a no bueno, nothing to be proud of. And it was because I was, I was betraying myself. I was not comfortable being the guy in the airport. Who's like talking to his camera being like, what's up Pexters? Like I I just (laughs) felt like a cornball. And a buddy of mine was like, why don't you try being in front of the camera and just let me hold the camera and you worry about being funny. And be yourself. And I was like, well, what could be more myself than enjoying a good meal in front of people? So I ordered a bunch of chicken wings. I invited another YouTuber over. And we just talked shit for 45 minutes. And that video got 5 million views. Mm. And suddenly I was like, oh, I get it. And and also I knew food videos were really popular on YouTube. I knew I was uniquely qualified because I was like a former thick boy. And so like... (laughs) I just was like, this is my lane. It's believable, and I I enjoy this. So, hope I hope I'm I'm presenting somewhat of a responsible sort of mukbanging uh, channel. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, what about your son? Um, how old is he, and how are you guys like uh, handling his nutrition? Because my son is one years old, and I joke around a lot, and I say I feel like I'm I have my Captain America shield. I'm blocking all of the bad food because every I mean, at one years old, how many people can he interact with? enough people that want to give him like sweets and like candies and stuff. And I'm like, Jesus, like, can we just let him like figure out his own like taste buds before we fry them all? Uh, so for your son, how are you guys feeding him? Yeah. You know, my son is three and, uh, thank God it seems as though he's inherited my wife's, uh, athletic family genetics thus far. And I, (laughs) he's got my flat feet, but he's got her, her thin body. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm always like, I, I love MMA and, and boxing and I'll always point out to my wife, like uh, Aljamain Sterling, I notice he is kind of slightly flat beat or like, or, and I'll be like, babe, look, look, like you can still be athletic. And she's like, you found like the three dudes are incredible. with, <laughs> with flat beat. Um, And, but he's, um, I, I, what I don't want to do is make food taboo mm-hmm. and to give it extra power. Cause that is what I remember from as far back as three, four, five years old, it was like eating, you know, sneaking snack wells and, and from the pantry. Um, and like, I, we learned certain things. Like I never tell my kid to clean his plate, but that was a thing for me growing up. Like, why do we clean our plate so that we can eat more in dessert? Right. It's like, if he's not hungry, then he's not hungry. And I don't want to plant this seed of like, to be a good boy, to get dad's approval, you have to overeat. Um, so it's just trying to be smart about that. And 
and get him, you know, he really likes chicken, rice, and string beans. And I'm like, ah, oh, you're a bodybuilder in training. I love it. Like, you know, I'm just trying to get him. And then he, you know, he'll crush cupcakes at a birthday party. So trying to give him that balance. Thank you so much for sending out your book. Um, what do you have coming up that you're excited about? Um, you mentioned the yeah, book. You're, I mean, you're on the book tour, right? Yeah, I'm doing the book. I got my my podcast, Male Models. And uh, yeah, just happy to be here with you guys. I really appreciate you having me. Male Models? Yeah, what's up with Male Models? Why is it called Male Models? <laughs> Good one. <laughs> 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 but I do have a question for you. Um, yeah, you like you started off obviously in in, in media. You were on TV. This was before social media, because I like I remember when I. I, w- I was a kid when I saw, I'm 29. So I did see Drake and Josh a bit as a kid, which is, sure. it's weird because I think you really did. And mm. I'm, I'm it, it's weird, Nickelodeon as a kid. I don't know. Anyway, but seeing the transformation of social media, Instagram, Vine, you now having to make your own videos, right? For on social and doing a great job of it. But I feel like, I'm not sure about this, but when you were probably a kid actor, there was a distance between yourself and the people, your fans, the people that dug your stuff. Now, people can DM you. People Mm -hmm. can listen to you on a podcast every day. People can watch your videos and comment and get responses from you all the time. Um, Does it feel odd for you to be so close to the people that pay attention to you now? Or do you find it, is it just a natural progression of things? It's a a great question. I think you're right that, I think even you being 29, I'm 35, like we were, we were part of the last generation before social media. Mm-hmm. And to me, there was always like a mystery around, you know, famous people, uh, movie stars, people you look up to. And I think there was like a part of me for a long time that felt like I needed to sort of project an image out to the public and that, you know, save the real me for my family and friends. And, and obviously there's a level, a deep, the deep core of me that, that I'll never share publicly because it's not necessary. Like, but I think that social media has allowed us to circumvent the gatekeepers. And I think actors, people like me went crazy for many years because you were so at the mercy of, of things you didn't have control of. And, you know, our business, it's not a stats business. It's subjective, right? Like, it's not like if you have, you know, the best, um, sort of, if you can like hit these markers, you're going to get a job because you're throwing better or you're catching better than like the next 10 guys below you. It's like, you might be the best actor, but it just might not be your moment. And so I like that with social media, I can go direct to the audience. I can get their feedback. I can create for them and I don't have to ask for permission. Mm. And it's allowed me a level of freedom that I never expected. So it's, it's certainly odd. And I try to keep things private. I don't show my kid's face on social media. Um, I have a wife who's like a a beautiful civilian and is constantly being like, turn your phone off. And I'm like, babe, Mm -hmm. the views. And she's like, I hate you. (laughs) So it it keeps me grounded in that way. What's your go-to kind of form of exercise, even when you don't want to exercise? I, you know, I try like, if I can get, I'll find myself, if I am going to do some, some sort of lifting or something high intensity, it's got to be early in the morning. I got to get like a Celsius on deck head in the game. But if it's like seven o'clock at night 
and I'm exhausted. And I'm like, if I go to bed tonight, I'm just going to wake up feeling disgusting. <laughs> like I know that I'm at like, you know, too many calories for the day, but I can just get on the elliptical machine and put on a show and just, you know, knock it out for the next hour, hour, 10 minutes. Like that's so it's, it's just about making those agreements with myself, like knowing that some days I'm going to really want to get after it. And other days, if I can just slog through, you know, an hour on the elliptical, knowing the first 30 minutes will suck and the last 30 minutes will fly by, it's, um, it's all a win. But I, I just try to, I just try to get after it as long as, as long as I can like break a sweat and feel like I put in like at least 45 minutes of work. Um, I'm not going to wake up hating myself. Do you try to put some rules around like if you wanted to eat pizza or something like that? Or like, how do you manage that? Oh, totally. It, it, I, I think about, you know, I plan it. Like there's always sort of one, it's usually like one day out of the week where I'm like, you know, I'm going to take sort of the breaks off and, and just enjoy myself, whatever that looks like. But I don't know how you guys are, but I, I obviously like part of being that in shape is, is, you know, not part of it. The major thing is eating. When I really try to go hard body karate and I'm like, I'm going to have four donuts like for breakfast. I get indigestion. I, maybe it's mean in your thirties, but it like kills me. Yo, the oil within the donuts messes me up, guys. Wet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the wet shits. Yeah, no, it's yeah. <laughs> not good. Yeah. Not good. It, it's really upsetting. But but still, and I'm like, you know, I'm not fancy. Like I'm like, I'm gonna go to the cheesecake factory and I'm gonna get the chicken romanesco, and I know it's twenty two hundred calories, and I'm gonna eat mad brown bread and i'm gonna get the cheesecake and so it's good bro that brown bread he knows <laughs> Ooh, yeah it's good stuff it's, it's good, good stuff. bro i i like eating in my car okay i'm a real dirt bag i'm gonna <laughs> drive around and i want to like have mad fast food in my car and like where am i going i don't know people are be like i what? saw josh peck he was eating cheesecake factory in his car i think that couldn't have been him <laughs> he ran a yeah, stoplight what the fuck <laughs> it's like pounding chris cut fries i'm in a blackout <laughs> hey thank you so much for your time today it was a, it was a lot of fun appreciate it uh, i really appreciate it guys thanks for having me all right thanks, have a great thanks, day thanks see you. see you later thanks guys peace record awesome man awesome information there i love what he said about the kind of family gatherings were um and, and just the family in general the way they viewed food it was you know like kind of a lot of love coming mm-hmm. through the food but it's also he mentioned also mentioned the word punishment and yeah man it can be like you mm-hmm. go to these thanksgiving dinners and these christmas things and even beyond that just birthdays just people just uh getting together and celebrating stuff it's like why does it always have to be such overkill all the time all the time does it all have to be unhealthy food can someone bring some fucking fruit (laughs) can somebody have something healthy going on here yeah yeah i went to uh to visit my parents uh this past weekend i think it was this past weekend sorry i'm trying to remember i go every weekend now but um i had brought uh, greek yogurt some within you vanilla protein mix that all up and then just had some fruit with it it's so good that's like my favorite like dessert right now and uh, my dad's like, oh, man, this is really good. What is it? I'm like, oh, it's just uh, whipped cream and fruit. I promise. That's it. And he looks at me weird. He's like, mm-hmm. Because he knows. It's like there's something healthy about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you tell him, like, oh, it's Greek yogurt, he's like, blah, he would, like, spit it out. He's like, Greek yogurt tastes gross. I'm like, well, sir, you're currently eating it. Mm-hmm. But 
yeah, dude, just a small little thing like that. Like it's so easy to do, but you know, it's just, it's just helping everybody out and, you know, keeping yourself on track too. Yeah. While not like secluding yourself. That's, yeah. that's a big thing too. He was, it was really cool. Um, how he mentioned how he had to, uh, he couldn't think his way into right acting, but act his way into right thinking. Yep. He immediately got me thinking about how we always mention think less, mm. you know, cause just, just do shit, just act. Right. And we've been talking about just getting moving, just start moving, mm-hmm. um, walking, keep, like keep the barrier low, start walking, do some body weight shit at home. Just start moving because I wanted to ask him if at this point, if he enjoys the aspect of exercise, because, um, exercise for some people isn't enjoyable at all. Mm-hmm. It's like we enjoy it because as he said, he realized that as he goes and does his boxing class or if he goes for a run or if you, after workout, you have all these feel good hormones that ruminate yeah. around your head. You, you actually start to feel good and then maybe you start to truly enjoy it. But for the people that are like, I don't like to exercise. I don't, it's just not for me, blah, blah, blah. If you just get yourself moving, just mm-hmm. to start moving, keep, keep it low, then that may be, that'll start becoming something normal for you and will move you in the right direction. And maybe at some point you might like the way exercise feels. Think about uh, a couple of things he mentioned. He mentioned a personal trainer, mm-hmm. which I don't know if he still has. Maybe he doesn't need that at this point. But what a great place to start, personal trainer. He met, also mentioned the elliptical. Like, in his house, yeah, and you, a TV in front of it, yeah. You go, mm-hmm. uh, you go on the elliptical. You're kind of like, I mean, you can get off there at any time you want, but you know, how good is it to say, hey, let look, just you bargain with yourself, say thirty minutes. Come on, like, let's just do, let's just do thirty minutes. You know, it's not that the elliptical is really nice. It gets, you know, people make fun of it and stuff, but it's it's a it's a way to kind of mimic like a run, especially for people that aren't used to running. You go out and just start running. You might, you know, hurt your calves and your lower back and stuff like that. Easy on the joints too. Easy, Very yeah, easy on the easy joints. Easy on the joints. Easy to get your heart rate up. And then the other thing that he mentioned was kickboxing. Like, how easy is that? Like, I know it's not easy necessarily, but to sign up for a class, like, okay, I'm going to get my ass kicked mm-hmm. for this hour and I'm going to burn a lot of calories. You can go to the gym and bro out and do our, you know, some of our stuff, but that's not, not everybody likes that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's these spots in Sacramento called Nine Round. I don't know if you guys are familiar. There's one right by my place. Yeah, yeah there's one in Elk Grove too, where it's just like every 30 minutes they have another class. So it's just like super easy to just walk in and pop in. Just 30 minutes later, done. Never have a bad workout. Yeah, and what I like about the elliptical, because like on the treadmill, like I'll watch, you know, a show, or even on the step mill, I'll watch something. But like, um, this is a good and bad thing about the elliptical. But you're on a track, like you can't really like fall over. You know, like on a step mill, if I miss a step, oh, fuck, you know, like, you know, it looks stupid in the gym or whatever. But on an elliptical, it's just super inviting, you know, because it's like, you just, hey, just stand here, move, and we'll take care of the rest. Mm-hmm. He he mentioned one thing that was super interesting. Like he was talking about the way he eats and how he's always thinking about it. We all <laughs> think about it. Like, like, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, the thing is, is like, Maybe hundreds of years ago, we wouldn't have had to think about it. But the reason why everybody, even the most fit individuals, myself, yourself, you, Andrew, mm-hmm. everyone, the reason why we think about it is because there are so many options mm-hmm. that probably aren't the greatest for us. I know that if I purchased a bag of Doritos from the store, I'm not going to eat half. 
No. Nah, I'm going to eat the whole thing. That, that family but, size one? Bro, I could. No, I have eaten a whole thing mm-hmm. like that. I, I know that if I purchase it, I'm going to eat the whole thing. So I have to tell myself when I'm going by the bag of hot Cheetos or Takis or the. What the, about hot fries? Do you like hot fries? Never had hot fries. Those sound real. They got like a weird, weird taste to them. But man, once you start going, you're just like. You see? Let, me get, let me get one more. And now I'm salivating. And now I'm salivating. You got to ruin your food. Remember we had somebody on the show that talked about ruining their food? I, they were like eating ice cream. And then they said <laughs> they take their ice cream and they just pour water all over it. Oh my God, you masochist. Like, I don't like, remember that, but eat, Jesus Christ. Eat a, it was a girl, I think. She's like, she's like I eat a bunch of it. And then she's just like, I run it under the faucet because like I need to be like done with it. Someone's going to look at that but and imagine, say, that's disordered eating. I know. Imagine yeah. doing that with Doritos. Like you, you're eating Doritos and you ate like, you know, a hand, couple handfuls of them. I used to you pour some cheese water. on it. <laughs> yeah. Pour some lemon juice in the bag. Could also, some, that might make it taste amazing. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> you see, you this can, is, you can, you, can buy the, you can buy it like that already made in mm, South By South. the way, so don't good. think for a second that I didn't hear him talk about Chinese food. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Dude, I heard that rang yeah. right through my fucking headphones. We do this every time. Yeah, dog, there's a spot. There's nothing better. There's a spot called Ming Dynasty. If you want legitimate Chinese food, they have this amazing duck and they have this dim mm. sum that's so Oh, good. Now back to what we were talking about: <laughs> health and nutrition. Yeah. Health and nutrition. But that's the thing. Like, I'll have some of that stuff, mm-hmm. but I have to think. I'm saying, like, what have I eaten today? Have I eaten? Like, will mm-hmm. this will this be too much food for the day? You know, people keep talking about like, oh, fasting being disordered eating and you know, restricting calories. Like, dog, if you want to be healthy in today's day and age, like with everything that we have at our fingertips. We have to have a level of self-control or as some people put a negative perception to, we have to have a level of restriction. Mm-hmm. That, that therapist lady, again, I keep referencing her, but she was saying restricted, this restriction mindset that it's unhealthy. Like the environment is not healthy. So to be able to live within this environment of excess, we have to be able to restrict ourselves from doing the thing that we want to do, which is to eat the whole bag of Doritos right. or to eat the two pints mm-hmm. of Ben and Jerry's because I want to do that. Yeah. And in his own words, he said the word disgusting. You know, he said gross. Like I don't if I go to bed and mm-hmm. I didn't like put out some calories uh, when I ate a lot that day. He's like, I know the next day I'm going to feel disgusting or gross. The same words were utilized when I spoke with Russell and a couple of the other guys here at the gym that are real big. They said the same, they use the same word to describe themselves. They said it doesn't feel good. Like, they're like, we don't want to be this fat. We recognize that we're this fat. We recognize uh, that we're obese. And, you know, it's it, it's it's hard for sometimes, I think, um, for people that haven't walked in those shoes to try to understand what any of it's like. Mm-hmm. But to actually start to talk to people, I, that's what I kind of hope happens. I hope that more people get into some open dialogue that is useful and not hurtful. Um, and it can just get more people to come forward and to say, yeah, that sounds easy enough for me to implement. Maybe I should uh, look into some of the suggestions of maybe finding a kickboxing class or, um, you know, dragging a sled or going on some walks or riding like Russell, Russell's awesome. We got to have him on the show because he has found so many different things. Yeah. Like as soon as the as soon as the summer hits, I know that he'll be back in the pool again. He loves to swim, and he goes with his son, and he he makes it a thing. 
you know, to be a bigger guy and to be out in the sac, I mean, to be in the Sacramento heat is like mm-hmm. not fun, regardless yeah. of your size. It gets hot, hot, hot here. And so Russell's swerve on that is that he just fucking goes to a pool and does some swimming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. Russell is doing a lot of stuff in the gym where I'm like, holy shit. Like he's he, busting out those squats the other day. Exactly. Yeah. Like, but, but he's, you know, he's, he's in the mid four hundreds, but he's figured out things that will allow him to do these movements, assistance that will allow him to do these movements and get those muscles moving. So there are always options for individuals. You just got to be, Willing to look around for them. Yeah, and he's doing the hard stuff too. Like he's doing stretching. He's ground. He's do. He does groundwork. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, man, he's getting after it. Yeah, yep. this was a great episode, man. Like Josh's insight on again from his transformation. That's a. It was a very useful conversation. I think uh, for myself specifically, just because again, I'm trying to learn how it feels for an individual to have to go through that, the psychological aspects of it too. Like we were mentioning on that prior episode, a lot of people that may be overweight or obese are not that way just because they eat too much. There's a lot of things going mm-hmm. on behind the scenes that you cannot just say, just lose some weight. And calories okay. in, calories out. Calories in, calories out. Just eat a little less. It's not that simple, bro. It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. I also like that he didn't blame. He wasn't like, mm-hmm. we've talked about on the show before where people will blame a system or they'll blame a situation. He didn't, just seemed like at 17, he decided to take personal responsibility for it and do something about it. He grew up with the circumstances he grew up with. There's really nothing he can do to change them. It is unfortunate. You know, everyone grows up with different circumstances. And it sounded like his circumstances made certain things more difficult for him. But as an adult, he was able to navigate it. He was able to figure it out, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Watch The Wackness and get his book. Yeah, definitely comment below if you guys either seen the whackness or you're gonna watch the whackness. I'm gonna watch the whackness. It's so, I don't, dude. Oh my gosh, let me look at. It. So it, it's got um, so it's Josh Peck, Ben Kings, Ben Kingsley, and then Olivia Thurlby. I can't. She was in Dread. What else was she in? I don't know. She's like his like love interest, and she's super hot. And of course, Method Man's in it. It's dude. It's such a good movie though. Method it's fucking Man. incredible. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. You guys ready to get out of here? I just want to kind of dwell on that quote that he said, because I think mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing. Like nothing in the outside world um, was going to make him feel whole. And I think that's an important thing for people to, it, it shouldn't either. Like, I don't think that mm-hmm. just, it's hard. It can be very difficult, you know, when you get a compliment from a particular person or you get a put down from a particular person to not have that like sting or to give you an extra zip. You know, if Casio's like, hey, man, like, if he, tell, if he tells you you're one of the best in the world, like, he knows what one of the best people in the world look like. Mm. And it would be hard for you not to feel super fired up and excited about that, right? But I think we just need to be careful with how much value we place on that. Because what happens when the reverse happens or what happens, it's, a, it's kind of okay when it's more motivational and it's more inspirational and it keeps you more up. That's a little bit better, um, but I still think that we need to uh, be careful of any of the outside influences. Like you don't really want those to control. Like, what if that's all you were like trying to get? You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like now you're chilling and you're like you go to less practices or something. You know, all these things can happen. And so, this is something that I've come to the realization of, and it's actually been really useful for me. Like I, I like playing the game of of being a business owner it's fun and it's exciting but 
that's kind of the end of it. Like it's just a, it's a game to me. It's a math, and I don't I'm emotionally, I don't feel super uh, connected to it. So mm. just knowing that the you're going to get the most bang for your buck by continuing to work on yourself and figuring out ways of leveling up with the things that you're really truly interested in and developing a skill set so that when there are times that are extra stressful or there is something from the outside world that does have an influence on you, even though it necessarily shouldn't, mm-hmm. that you'll be able to you know, kind of, kind of uh, protect yourself at all times and be able to lean on those things, lean on those skills in the times of need. Andrew, want to take us on out of here, buddy? I will. Thank you, everybody, for checking out today's episode. Please make sure you guys like today's video on YouTube. Drop us a comment down below. Again, let me know if you guys have either seen The Wackness or you're going to watch The Wackness. Uh, Method Man's pretty funny. He has, like, a Jamaican accent, which threw me way off in the beginning. But now hey, it's man. like... Yeah, like, yeah, dude, it's like... It's <laughs> Jamaican me crazy, man. Yeah, he kind of... He leaned into it a little bit too much, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's... Not bombaclat. <laughs> so good he's he, and i'm not gonna give it away but yeah let me know and um yeah if you guys haven't seen it just go watch it because you're gonna love it and uh, make sure you guys subscribe if you're not subscribed already turn on all those bell notifications and uh oh shout out to zumanji he's been very active in the discord oh um, yeah yeah maybe that's where you can download movies i don't know how discord works still but i think maybe the whackness is playing on there right now guys I, I don't guys know how it works. don't let andrew confuse you bro you got a lot of boomers on this podcast that are like probably believing the shit you're saying i'm making a point sir <laughs> when you and owen are just like dude you just do the thing and i'm just like um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll go download where's Discord. The, where's the button like where I can go back? You the know? links in the description. <laughs> you know, like when you give like uh, like somebody who's had Android their whole life, like how do I go back on an iPhone? It's like, are you proud of what you're becoming? <laughs> I'm just asking, are you proud of this? So, right, well, here we go. I was telling Owen, I was like, I've been old since elementary school. Oh my God. All right. I've been an old ass motherfucker since back then. And it's because I have a like seven and eight year older brother and sister than me. Yeah. So I've been like a teenager when I was like a fucking like 10 year old. Like, you know, it's just anyways. Yeah. Don't know where we're at, but follow the podcast at MB Power Project on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. My Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter is at I am Andrew Z and Sima. Where are you at? Guys, check us out on the Discord and Reddit, yo. All right. We'll see you in there. Uh, and Sima In Yang on Instagram and YouTube and Sima Yin Yang on TikTok and Twitter Mark I'm at Mark's Millie Bell strength is never weakness weakness is never strength catch you guys later bye <laughs>